It's a funny place to be, stuck in a seemingly mundane world with an inner knowing that the universe is so much more than our mortal minds can comprehend. Yet we all have the capacity to know peace and our oneness with the wholeness of life. And through these interviews, discussions, and reflections, it is my intention to share this possibility. I'm Ryan Kurzak, and this is the Kriya Yoga Podcast. So today I wanted to talk about the process of recognizing your timeless nature as spirit, or as Lahiriya Mahasaya would call it, your, your deathless nature. This is the whole purpose of Kriya Yoga practice and essentially the whole purpose of all spirituality is to recognize this. And in the beginning, if someone isn't possessed with a lot of initial enthusiasm, it can be a little overwhelming because there's a lot expected of a person who's um, attempting to realize this. Um, It's important to keep in mind as well that what you are doing with your spiritual practice and what you're doing with your Kriya Yoga practice is realizing something that is already true. Your spiritual practice, your Kriya Yoga practice, doesn't make you spiritual. Everyone is as spiritual as they're going to get. So what's really happening there is you are realizing or remembering the truth of this, the truth of um, your essential nature, the truth of yourself as a soul, your truth of yourself as consciousness. Some of you have taken the opportunity to participate in the um, scheduled times, I call them office hours, uh, where we would discuss things that were important to you about 20 minutes each session and a few of you have chosen to meditate during those sessions uh, with me which is great and some of you uh, will remember that when we've done those meditations I've encouraged you to as you meditate feel imagine that you are floating within or permeated by an ocean of spirit or an ocean of consciousness or an ocean of the divine, uh, whatever works for you, to have a sense of buoyancy, a sense of spaciousness, a sense of uh, openness, a sense of uh, connection and interconnectedness. Now, we acknowledge this, and I say to imagine it, uh, because most of us are very constricted We're constricted in our body, we're constricted in our minds, we're constricted in our emotions and our thoughts, and we never really allow ourselves to imagine or feel what is beyond all of this. And the more we're able to imagine it, the more we get the opportunity to actually experience it directly. Wherever our attention goes, that's going to be what we tend to experience. And so if we focus only on these small, contracted things, like I'm only this body, I'm only these emotions, I'm only these thoughts, then all you're going to experience is being trapped in uh, a very small state of consciousness. But what what we're aiming to do is to imagine, allow ourselves to recognize that we are part of a much greater state of consciousness. Again, speaking of Lahiri Mahasaya, that term, Mahasaya, that's not his name. That wasn't his given name. Mahasaya is a uh, 
uh, a title or uh, something that you, 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 you say about someone with reverence. And it means one who is cosmic conscious or large-minded, broad-minded. So, you know, we're all meant to become a Mahasaya, where we are large-minded and broad-minded. And was Lahiri Mahasaya any different than any of the rest of us in regards to the hardware that he had to process consciousness? No, he had a human body, just like we do. He had to eat food, he had to walk, he had to take care of his body, he had to work to manage his resources. He had the same tools we do. Uh, the difference between him and someone who just thinks they're a little body is that he practiced feeling through, imagining, accessing those states uh, beyond the small sense of self. And that's why he could say, you know, how can you, how can you hurt me? How can, how can, how can you take a photograph of me? I am deathless spirit. I am the eternal. That, because he was identified with this uh, other way of being. And it's really just a matter of habit. Uh, our habits are a little more uh, reinforced because usually everyone that we are around feels the same way. They all feel like they're a little limited, uh, pathetic little person. And so everyone walks around acting like they're a limited, pathetic little person. And so then we have greed, we have um, frustration, we have the inability to help others, we have um, difficulties doing what's right when we know it's right, because there's this, this pattern going on of, uh, I have to protect this little teeny me. <clears throat> and if you really think about it, if you really take a moment to step back and think about having to protect the little teeny you, yes, it may be true that you've experienced uh, difficulties in relationships, or you've been abused, or you've been hurt, or you've been injured in some way. Well, um, there are ways to, to work through that. But if you think bigger picture, and you consider the fact, just the simple fact that you are alive, that you are here, that you are right now, that you're able to sit and listen to this, if you can reflect upon that with a sense of curiosity, and try to imagine everything that has gone into keeping you here or allowing you to be here. Everything from the, uh, the interconnectedness of humanity to create the device that you're using to watch and listen to this. That alone probably takes millions of people from putting together the parts to shipping things to uh, mining the resources to assembling them, all of these things. And they all have to have families, and all those families have to have food, and all those families have to have houses. And so then there have to be people who build the houses that house the people that have put together this computer for you. And you have to have people who've grown the crops so that they can eat, so that you can have this computer to be here for you. And that's just one little device that's in your life. If you can begin to imagine that, then you can even go back further. You can think about the fact that since humans have been in existence, your family line was able to survive and exist for millions of years. So to think that there's nothing there supporting you, that there isn't some greater consciousness, intelligence, making it possible for you to be here, that you're just not paying attention. Now, of course, again, uh, 
We have to remember that in this world where things fall apart and change, yes, there were obstacles and there were difficulties and there were setbacks and there were all kinds of things. But because of resilience, because of strength, because of support, because of this inner intelligence, uh, we are here. And that's a pretty profound thing to contemplate on its own. That can be very liberating to uh, to the mind because if you can get behind that, if you can understand that, well, then you begin to trust and believe, well, if this infinite divine consciousness, this infinite ocean of spirit got us this far, more than likely it's going to get us a bit further too. And that's where you start to enter into that uh, idea that's described in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, which is considered to be one of the prime practices of Kriya Yoga, uh, Ishvara Pranidhana, which is kind of translated uh, surrendering God. That's how it's often translated. But we have to kind of look at that word Ishvara. That's the word that they're exchanging for God there, uh, for our Western audience. Uh, Ishvara doesn't mean the big bearded man in the sky who's sending people to hell and bringing them up to heaven. Ishvara is a principle of intelligence. Ishvara is more likely translated as uh, the lord of the universe or ruler of the universe, but it's not like the king over his kingdom, not that kind of lord or ruler. It is that power, that capacity that allows this to make any kind of sense at all. And I know you can look around if you watch the media or you see things happen, you think this doesn't make any sense. But if you really stop and observe the coherence that is going on right now, to have this experience, it's profound. And um, this is all related to this idea of Ishvara Pranidhana, uh, surrendering God, or just really reflecting upon recognizing this greater power, this greater spirit of the universe, which is you, uh, making all of this possible. And you don't want to get caught up in all the little uh, speed bumps that, that, that are there, because those speed bumps are also there for some reason. Um, we don't know why. Usually they're there to strengthen us. And if you look at nature, there is absolutely nothing in nature which does not encounter an obstacle. There's nothing in nature which does not encounter an obstacle. From the seed that has to start growing, first it has to have water. It has to overcome that obstacle. Then it has to push its way up through the dirt. It has to overcome that obstacle. Then it has to avoid the deer getting eating it. And how does it overcome that obstacle? The plant makes so many seeds that at least a few of them are going to survive. Birds, they have obstacles. Creatures, rocks, everything has an obstacle. And it affects them in some way. The same thing is true for being a human being. It's just that we personalize everything. We make everything as though, why is God doing this to me? Well, it's happening to everybody. And as we become more large-minded, we begin to see the picture of the experience of life for its light and its shadow, for uh, its darkness and its brightness, for um, the, the images in the foreground and the images that are up front. Maybe the foreground is up front, I don't know. Background, foreground. And as you become more large-minded, uh, things trouble you less because you see them in relationship to the bigger picture. You see them in relationship to the bigger picture. Now, of course, that's going to be a little difficult when it comes to your relationships with people. Because while you're seeing things from the bigger picture and things are happening and you're not so troubled by it, everyone else is freaking out and they wonder what's wrong with you. Well, you have to ask yourself, would you prefer to be 
thinking and behaving like everyone else around you, or would you prefer to be large-minded and cosmic conscious? And when you're large-minded and cosmic conscious, you don't lord it over people. You don't say, look how spiritual I am. You just observe them, and you recognize the state of consciousness that they're in, and you love and you bless them, and you let them have their freak out if they want to, but you remain present. You remain that uh, state of uh, stillness within within the storms that are going on around you. Um, and so how does all this come about? It comes about through your practice of Kriya Yoga, through the practice of your, of, of your spiritual path. And that includes meditating regularly. Because every day when you meditate, you are training yourself to pull within to let go of all these external distractions. You're, you're pulling within to acknowledge, oh, okay, let's observe this timeless essence of my spirit. And every day, you still might have to go to work and get stressed out, but every day you do that, you become a little more identified with that timeless essence of spirit. And you become a little less annoyed at work. You become a little less troubled by what you hear on the news because you start to reverse your attention back to what is eternal, what is timeless, and you let go of the passing waves. You can still appreciate the passing waves and interact with the passing waves, but you are not making the mistake that you are the waves, always rising, always falling, always going through this uh, experience of pleasure and pain and suffering and joy. And meditation does it, but there's also, many of you have heard me talk, some of you in the Kriya Yoga Apprenticeship Program, we go through this in year, year one of the two-year program. In chapter 16 of the Bhagavad Gita, there are um, 26... Um, 26 qualities that indicate a person is waking up. I'm just going to list them. So just listen and, and, and notice the ones that stick out to you. And if you've got a pen and paper or you can type it somewhere, write down the ones that stick out to you. Uh, so it's said that these qualities are indicative of one who is... Um, moving towards liberation of consciousness or, or recognizing their, their essence as spirit. Fearlessness, purity of heart, abiding in yoga along with knowledge, charitable giving, self-restraint and holy offerings, study of sacred texts, austerity and uprightness, nonviolence, truth, absence of anger, renunciation, serenity, freedom from finding fault, compassion for all beings, absence of cravings, gentleness, modesty, steadiness, vigor, forgiveness, fortitude, purity, freedom from malice and from pride. These are the endowments of those born to a divine destiny. So you can review uh, the Bhagavad Gita. The copy I use is Roy Davis's commentary on um, the inner meaning of Bhagavad Gita, the eternal way. But you can review these. And you can work towards them. And, and those of you who are patient, um, I'm actually working on a, a book right now. I'm aiming to have it done before September. Um, Mr. Davis used to hand out uh, a booklet during each initiation service, uh, the Initiate's Guide, to help you remember how techniques work and also commentary on the Yoga Sutras and other important things that uh, the Kriya Yogi needs to know. Well, um, we have a retreat coming up in September for the Kriya Yoga Apprenticeship students. It's the end of year retreat for the apprenticeship students. And um, Mr. Davis's book is no longer available, so I decided I better write my own. So 
I have a, a, a very distinct deadline and I'm, I'm working pretty hard at it. But anyway, um, in this book, I talk about these, uh, these qualities and why they're important. And in the book, um, I use a, an idea and analogy. And um, I'm going to do my best to explain it here. I just wrote it, so it's kind of fresh in my mind. <laughs> when a person is enlightened or spiritually aware, it's as if they have this painting. And this painting is beautiful. And this painting holds wisdom. And this painting, in it you can see and feel a sense of connection to the wholeness of life. And by observing this painting, no matter what happens in your normal human life, it doesn't matter. You, you see it in relationship to the bigger picture. It's, it's a wonderful painting. But now we can imagine taking that painting and turning it into a jigsaw puzzle. You know, you've seen jigsaw puzzles. Um, and so it's got all the little pieces. And that painting just kind of like crumbles into all these pieces. So whereas the spiritually aware person, to them, that painting is whole, present, observable. They can see it clearly. Well, to people who are on the awakening path, to people who are beginning uh, to realize what is true of them, they've got the painting. It's just in a puzzle form in front of them. So the realized person and the unrealized person, they don't have more or less of the painting. It's all there. It's just that the realized person has put it together. The unrealized person is looking at a pile of pieces. And um, I learned in the research of this book that one who puts jigsaw puzzles together is called a dissectologist. A dissectologist. Really weird name. But anyway, so even the dissectologist, uh, when they first start looking at a, uh, a jigsaw puzzle, they're a little overwhelmed because they know what it's supposed to look like. But the pieces are everywhere. So what do you do? Well, you have to just look at it, observe it, see what's there before you. And then you you look at the picture that you're trying to match it up to. And uh, we do have a picture of what this pain is supposed to look like. It's described in the Bhagavad Gita. It's described by observing the lives of uh, people who've already realized it. So we know what it's supposed to look like for the most part. So we begin taking these puzzle pieces and, and organizing them. And when I list off, you know, these 26 qualities, even as I wrote it in the book, I thought to myself, people are going to be overwhelmed by this, but hopefully this uh, description helps a little bit. These qualities, there's a lot of them. Fearlessness, purity of heart, abiding in yoga, along with knowledge, charitable giving, self-restraint, holy offerings, study of sacred texts, austerity, uprightness, nonviolence, truth, absence of anger, renunciation, serenity, freedom from fault-finding, uh, compassion for all beings, absence of cravings, gentleness, modesty, steadiness, vigor, forgiveness, fortitude, purity, freedom from malice, and freedom from pride. That's a lot. And here I'm telling you, you have to manifest these things, all of them. Well, most people just want to meditate. They get on the spiritual path and they think, well, if I meditate, I ought to do it. Well, it'll do it a little bit. But the way you live your life and your meditation work synergistically together. And so back to this idea of the puzzle. You're looking at this puzzle. You, you see all of these pieces here. And you don't, know where, you don't know how to practice fearlessness. 
you don't know what that's like. Maybe because of how you lived your life, or maybe you come uh, from a family like me of a bunch of neurotic Italians that uh, seem to be afraid of everything. Uh, maybe you've got that going on. Uh, there's a, a number of reasons why you could have that. Maybe you don't know how to remain steady in truthfulness. Maybe you don't trust yourself enough. Maybe you don't believe in yourself enough to stand up for yourself to say, no, this is my truth. Okay, well, that's like looking at this puzzle and being overwhelmed. So what are we doing? Well, we have to put the puzzle together. So the first thing we do is we recognize this piece here. This piece is fearlessness. And we don't know what to do with it. We really don't exactly know how to engage it. But we don't know where it goes uh, within the puzzle at the moment. But by working to figuring out what will help you develop fearlessness, that is like figuring out where it goes in the puzzle. By trying to understand what it means um, to have an absence of anger. Maybe you have all kinds of anger. and It's justified anger. Well, for this enlightenment to occur, it's said you have to have an absence of anger. So you find that puzzle piece, and you're working towards trying to understand what that could mean to not have anger, figuring out how to not have anger, and then actively practicing anger. That's like trying to figure out where that puzzle piece goes. And it may be that you find a few pieces and you understand them, but you don't know where they fit in the puzzle. So you've got to set them aside for a little bit. And what you'll notice is when you focus one on one little aspect of it at a time, not being overwhelmed, you know, recognizing that there is a lot to do, but not being overwhelmed, you work on a little piece at a time. As you put one puzzle piece in, as you put another puzzle piece in, what happens if you've done a puzzle before? It gets easier and easier as you go because the picture fills in and, and it's easier to find where they go. So, you know, as we're trying to uh, recognize our deathless essence of as spirit, our timeless essence of spirit, yes, we have to meditate, but we also have to figure out how to embody these qualities. And again, you have to focus on all of the qualities. And once you've put the puzzle back together, then you have the vision you have the experience of the spiritually realized person. But you have to want to put the puzzle together. And uh, I'm telling you that from experience because for several years um, around uh, the solstice, Christmas time, we would get puzzles to do, to put together. And uh, that was fun. I enjoyed it. And we enjoyed it all. We, we all enjoyed it in the household. Um, but it's still overwhelming when you see all that stuff. And last year, um, we had a little kitten, and really we were afraid um, we were afraid that the kitten would take the puzzle pieces and bat them around, so we didn't do it. Plus, I was a little intimidated by the puzzle that we had. So I avoided doing the puzzle because of that sense of overwhelm. So if a person can be overwhelmed with the idea of putting a puzzle together, well, just imagine how overwhelmed a person can be by trying to put their consciousness back together. And that's essentially what the idea of yoga is. Yoga means union. It's realizing the oneness of our consciousness. And we can look at it, again, just don't take this further than it's meant to go. We can look at it as putting our consciousness back together. And so the realized person, the person who recognizes spirit, has their consciousness all put back together. And that's what we're working to do. <clears throat> 
It's all there for us. We just have to do it. Um, and you want to take your time with it. You know, this isn't going to be something that happens uh, in a flash after two years of practice. You know, some of you have heard me talk about how uh, there's been a few people who've written to me who studied with other Kriya teachers, and um, you know they're always telling me, "Oh, I need to check out this Kriya teacher because this one is really self-realized. This one actually knows what's going on." You know, and I say, "Okay, that's nice." And uh, but then a few years later, they write to me and they say things like, "Well, this teacher, uh, this teacher uh, ordained me to teach Kriya Yoga after a year and a half. Ordained me to teach Kriya Yoga." Um, can you tell me how to do that? I'm thinking, why don't you ask your teacher? <laughs> but anyway, so it's not something that happens in a year. It's not something that happens in a year and a half. It, it's a lifelong thing. And you get better at it as you go. And even if you check out, you know, before you're done, well, your consciousness stays the way it is as time progresses. So even if you check out and you've got the puzzle halfway done, well, when you start up next time, you're starting with the puzzle halfway done, which is better than you were previously, which is great. Um, there's a quick question here, and then we'll, we'll move into to meditation because I really don't want to turn this into a, a Q&A session. I just want to give you something to contemplate for the next week. And if you want, if you have a copy of the Bhagavad Gita, it doesn't have to be Mr. Davis's copy, although I prefer this one. Uh, but if you go to chapter 16 of the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 16 of the Bhagavad Gita, it's the yoga of discernment between the higher and lower natures. In this chapter, there is, the very, at the very beginning, this should be in all Bhagavad Gita copies, there is a list of those qualities which lead to the divine destiny. And the divine destiny is realizing spirit. Um, and verse 5 says, The divine destiny leads to liberation. The lower destiny leads to bondage. Do not grieve. You are born with a divine destiny. So if you're reading this book and you have this affirmation, you are born with a divine destiny, that means you've got the puzzle pieces there. you just got to put them together. And uh, for the sake of being complete, the... Um, the lower destiny is hypocrisy, arrogance, pride, anger, violence, insolence, and ignorance. These are the endowments of one born to a lower destiny. So if you find yourself being a hypocrite, being arrogant, having excessive pride, anger, violence, insolence, or ignorance, well, stop it. Find a way to stop it. Turn it off. Do whatever it takes cut off that outlet towards the, the lower destiny. And there's nothing wrong with having a lower destiny because people need their experiences. That's why we're all here. In the Yoga Sutras, it says that the whole point of this is either for bhoga, experience or enjoyment, or completion, which means you're either caught up in bhoga experience, just letting your senses run wild. Hey, you're fulfilling a purpose of creation. Or... Uh, Completion, which is what the yogi is up to, kind of resolving all of that, moving on from it. So there's nothing wrong with people who have a lower destiny. Let them have it. Um, but you, who are born to a divine destiny, uh, maybe knock it off a little bit. So the quick question here, and um, the reason I'm going to answer this and read this question is because uh, I recently just wrote a little section on this. Um, and so it's fresh in my mind, and I happen to have it up here, so I'm just going to read you what I wrote. So the question was, well, what is holy offerings? 
What does it mean to have holy offerings? Let's see. I know I did. Here we are. Just a few paragraphs. I'll read it to you. So holy offerings can be a physical offering of devotion to our chosen concept of the divine, or it can be an intentional sacrifice of our time and attention for the purpose of waking up or recognizing our essence of spirit. To light a candle, burn incense, or offer flowers to a sacred image or an idea is a holy offering. To choose an activity such as meditation or prayer over participating in a spectator sport is a sacrifice with the intention to be self-realized, and this is also a holy offering. The offering of an item or gesture, however small, directs our minds to concepts and ideas of divinity. The more the mind is in proximity to divine ideas, the easier it will be to recognize an actual divine experience. Lighting a candle in the morning to honor the divine, saying a prayer before a meal, Feeling gratitude for a warm autumn breeze, if done with conscious awareness, is an offering to the divine, and this spiritualizes our mind. Sacrificing our time and resources for the purpose of spiritual growth affirms our intention and gives us the opportunity to access clear states of consciousness. Choosing to attend a spiritual retreat to renew one's inspiration instead of attending a family reunion, which most likely you'll forget in a few years, this is a holy offering. Meditating in the evening, rather than watching a show, is a holy offering. Dedicating your time to study spiritual texts to gain deeper understanding, rather than watching politically driven media, is a holy offering. Every moment can become a holy offering by simply being fully present in every moment. So, that's my response to what are holy offerings. And as I said, if you're, if you're curious about these, um, 26 qualities and, and how to work with them. It is a big portion of this little book that I'm working on and all goes well. I'm going to have it done and at least uh, a smaller version of it published uh, by the first week of September or so so that I can bring it to the retreat to give to the retreat participants. So if you're interested in a copy, don't email me right now. Mark it on your calendar and uh, in October email me or send me a message and um, hopefully they'll be done and ready to go and I can send you a link as where you can order one. All right, but if you're going to be at the retreat um, in September for the apprenticeship students, you're going to get a copy anyway. So you don't have to email me if that's the case. <clears throat> Let's meditate together. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.